I want to talk to you tonight about wrestling. Now, I remember when, uh, when uh, you know, MMA started and Pastor wouldn't let me watch it with him uh, after like the first 15 minutes of me watching with, because I wasn't grasping the whole, and you know, the, the excitement of the, the, the fight, the wrestling, um, because I think it was just the, the fight I was watching because the whole time I'm like, I, I would look at Pastor and I said, so when do they stop cuddling and start doing something? And he's like, just uh, shut up and just watch, just, just watch. And I'd be like, does somebody tell them that it's like a two-second cuddle rule or something? Because they've just been holding each other very close for a long time. There's nothing happening here. And so I wasn't grasping. And then all of a sudden, you know, then blood came and I was like, okay, this could be interesting to watch. But I want to talk to you tonight about the struggle and the wrestling that we find ourselves so easily stepping into when it comes to the things of God. Now, I remember as a kid, wrestling. I've got two sisters. And every Friday night was a ritual when we were little that we would get our sleeping bags out and we put it in the living room. And then we would have WrestleMania for like 30 minutes or until somebody got hurt and started crying with my dad. And we would do this thing, and we would have so much fun, and we would just wrestle each other and attack, and, you know, and it was the best time. And then all of a sudden, it was time for, you know, Friday night movie to begin, and so then we'd get in our sleeping bags, and we'd watch the movie. And then I remember when I had, you know, when we had our kids, and they were little. And, you know, it was that whole fun of wrestling with the kids, and it was, you know, chasing them through the house, and Tickle Monster's going to get you, and, you know, and it was just that, that Fun moments of wrestling. Now, uh, go ahead and put up the, the picture of, look at, look at my kids when they were little. Look at, this is like one of my most favorite pictures of my kids when they were small. And I remember this day so well. Look at Liv's missing a tooth in the front. I remember this so well because um, we, were, we were renting this house is when we first came to Milwaukee. And next to us, they had dumped this huge pile of dirt, and it was kind of like in our yard too. And the kids wanted to go out, and they were playing. They had a swimming pool, and so they were playing out there. And then I'm watching through the kitchen, and all of a sudden, you know, as kids are, they're like, it's a mountain of dirt. We must investigate. So they would go from that to the swimming pool, back to the mountain of dirt, and then back to the swimming pool. And then before I know it, I'm watching my two kids just wrestling on this dirt pile and it is in every orifice of their body and they are laughing and they are having the best time. I remember pastor looking out going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what are you, what are they? And I said, shh, I've got a hose outside. We'll hose them down before they come in. But I love to watch them out there having that good time wrestling. Now I couldn't put a picture of my kids up unless I put a picture of my grandbaby up. So look at, look at that face. I know I'm going to lose some of you right now, but I'm just telling you right now, I know you think your kids and grandkids are cute, but come on. All right. I, I just had to gush for a second. Look at that face, those eyes. Oh. So I put that, I wanted to put that picture up because she's just so heavenly. But how many of you know an eight-month-old isn't heavenly 24-7? 
And so when she starts to cry, they have this magical song. Now, when my kids were little, they, the magical song back then was Barney's wonderful song, I love you, you love me. I can't sing it no more. I sing it for, it's, it's like embedded in my head. But they have this new song in this new generation. And when Ami would start to cry, they would put this little video on and something amazing would happen. And it was, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark, baby shark. Now here's what happened. So one day I've got Ami and I'm holding her. And all of a sudden she's, I could tell, oh, okay, she's starting to, she's getting restless. She's getting, okay, she's starting to cry. She's starting to cry. Where's the video? Where's my phone? I can't find my phone. I need, I need, I need the, I need the baby shark phone. What, where's the, and all of a sudden she just started to cry. And I instantly went into panic singing, baby shark, do, 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 baby shark, do, 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 do. I don't know the rest of the song, baby shark, do, 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 baby shark. No, she lost it. Lost it. So why was I trying in my panic singing to get her to stop? Because I didn't want to see her crying. I didn't want to see her upset. I didn't want to see her wrestling in my arms. But how many of you tonight, you feel like you've just been wrestling a lot in your life? But we need to understand tonight that the blessing that, that's already on our life and we don't need to wrestle for what has already been promised and established in our life. You know, Luke 12.32 says this, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is saying, I've already promised you deliverance. I've already promised you prosperity. I've already promised you healing. I've already promised you protection. I have these promises established in your life. So you don't have to wrestle with the things of God. You don't have to panic in the things of God. So there was a study done by a Dr. Pellegrini. And he's, this is what he says in his study. He said, wrestling makes kids more resilient and resilient kids tend to see failure more as a challenge to overcome rather than an event that defines them. And there's a thing called BDNF, which means brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Very cool. And what it is, is it, 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 it releases, uh, it is released when kids are wrestling, when they're little. It makes our kids, this is what the study says, this BDNF that we have in us, when it is released, it makes kids smarter and increases their logic. It makes their memory go up, makes their higher learning system go up. So all those times that we were chasing our kids and wrestling our kids and throwing them all over the place, we were creating these amazing children. We were good parents. Tickle Monster works in their life. But we're not the only ones who got this thing figured out. Wolves will do it with their cubs. They'll take their tiny babies and what they'll do is the mama will roll over on her back and she'll expose her neck and expose her belly and she'll let her babies crawl and bite all over on her because it is creating in them self-confidence as they're, as they're growing up of how to take down their prey. 
Now, as baby Christians, God's okay with us wrestling with him. It helps to increase our faith in him. You know, how many of you have ever prayed for that parking space? <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember just, I mean, I had so much faith praying for parking spaces all the time that even pastor would go, um, honey, can you pray for parking? I'd be like, got it. No problem. I remember one time Nick was real little and uh, we, we were in Lake Geneva on a you know, summer day. It's packed. And I went like this. I, I looked at pastor and I said, watch this, Nick, pray for parking space. God's going to do it. And he was just like, Mah. and I said, no, pray for a parking space. God's going to watch and see what God's going to do. And he's like, in Jesus name for a parking space, immediately taillights right at the best, most perfect spot pulled out. You know, there's just something about that childlike faith. There's something about, you know, when we're in that, that Christian, early Christian stage, that, you know, we can be like, hey, God, uh, I need this done. And when it doesn't happen immediately, we get all upset. How many of you, you know, you, you get a cold one day, you're like, okay, I got a little bit of a cold. Jesus, heal me. And you wake up the next day like, horrible. And you're like, God, that's not fair. God, I prayed. Lord, I wanted this done. And we get so demanding with God. You know, you remember when we first got saved, we would pray for something and it would be answered immediately. Or we might complain for a moment, but then, you know, but, but the, the prayer gets answered. It was so easy as a baby. The pastor talks about the whole car, you know, coming back from Chicago. I mean, it, it was so easy as, that, as I'm just beginning to learn how to call those things that be not as though they were. Now, the, the, the fact that there was a garbage um, pail or, you know, a garbage container next to our car and a man was digging out of the garbage sparked my faith that just said, we got to get out of here. But as that new Christian, I was like, God, I know you can do this. This is nothing for you. And that child, like they just instantly just worked. But God, you know, in those beginning stages, it's like that baby shark song. He's just like, all right, they're starting to get a little upset. They're starting to get restless. They're starting to, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to get a little whiny. So I'm going to go ahead. I've, I've, I've watched them use their faith a little bit. They're kind of stirring that up, that little baby Christian. And so, you know what? We're going to answer that prayer. Now, in Genesis 25, we have the story of Isaac and his wife, Rebecca. And Isaac prays to God that Rebecca's womb, because she had been barren, would open. And she gets pregnant. And in uh, Genesis 25, verse 21, I'm going to jump down to 22. She says, but the children, so she gets pregnant. And it says, but the children struggled together within her. See, and, she, and, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? See, she didn't understand. She didn't have ultrasounds back then. She didn't get those 3D where you see their face and all that kind of stuff. All she knew is I'm big now and there's a fight going on and this doesn't seem normal. And so she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. 
Isaac was six years old when she bore them, so the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful, skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So God establishes before the child was ever, the children were ever born, that the younger, uh, that the older was going to serve the younger, which was not heard of back in those days. It was always, you know, the birthright, the blessing was always given to the firstborn. So Esau comes out first, and Jacob comes out holding on to Esau's foot, trying to pull him back. So from the moment that Jacob is born, he's in a state of wrestling. And Jacob was wrestling for something that God already said was going to be his. And sometimes it looks like you lose, but really you win. It looked like Jacob had, you know, the, how is the younger going to be above the older? How is the older going to submit to the younger? How is all this going to take place when Jacob clearly was born second? How can that be? And sometimes in our life, we look at things and we go, how could this ever be? How could the blessing be mine? Lord, I know what the word says. I know I've heard the promises that are yes and they're amen in my life. But God, how can that be when you know where I've come from, when you know what I've done, where everything looks like it's a loss? God, how could there be a win in this situation? But when we get to understanding that God's promises are for us, there is nothing in the word of God that says the promises only work if you've ever been, you know, you, you have to be saved at least 20 years. You can't do anything wrong in your life. You know, you can't be married and divorced. You can't be, you know, from the wrong side of the tracks, whatever those tracks are. You can't be this. You can't be that. There was never any rules established. All the promises are across the board for each and every one of us. But we tend to, uh, to take on the struggle of making something happen. And that job, we want that job so bad. You know, so, you know, maybe, you know, I'll talk about the other person who's up for that promotion and kind of badmouth them a little bit. And I'm just telling truth, you know, of who they really are. So it makes you look a little bit better. We're wrestling. We're struggling with the promise that God says is already ours, but we want to manipulate the system. What about the relationship? And you know you're not supposed to be in that relationship. But, you know, but God, you just know, you know, it's the best I can do. And, you know, we really love each other. And, you know, we're going to struggle and we're going to wrestle to make this thing work. Or how about in money situations? Well, you know, I, it's just, it's not really a lie on my taxes. It really does help me get more money back, you know, at the end of the year. We're struggling and we're wrestling to do. And in the natural, we lose the job. The money doesn't come through. The person walks out of our life. But God is asking, can you just trust him, trust his promises, and trust his word, and let go of the wrestle, let go of the struggle, and stop trying to do it on your own? Amen. Isaiah 55, 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. See, with God, it's never a loss. It's always for more. It's never for less. When we try and do it on our own, it ends up less. But if we can trust God, 
If we let go of the struggle, if we stop wrestling with the things in our life and we just put it on God and say, God, I'm going to trust you in this situation, we will find out that God is always about the more. So when it looks like we're losing, can we still see victory through the eyes of faith in our victor? Do we have a backup plan just in case God doesn't do what we want? And we justify our backup plans, uh, you know, because, you know, we say things like, well, God moves in mysterious ways. We don't always know or understand. No, you got a backup plan because you don't trust God. And, and I get, I, now listen, I grew up uh, in the Salvation Army. It was called Girl Guards and not Girl Scouts. But the, you know, motto was always still the same, be prepared. And I am one that I will drive my family crazy out of their minds because I will be prepared with backup plans. And you know what? And, and listen, and I justify it because sometimes my plans work well. And, you know, and then I get a little cocky about it because I'm like, hey, if it wasn't for me and my backup plan number 43, we would not be doing this right now. <laughs> but, but then my family doesn't want to be around me because I've driven everybody crazy with those backup plans. Sometimes, you know, my over planning, my, uh, my preparation is all because I want to figure this thing out. And I want to be in control. That's all backup plans are, guys. It's you just wanting to be in control of your life and in control of your situation. And you're not willing to let go and relinquish that control to God. Um, but God is wanting us to abandon our plans and submit in faith to what he's already established for us. He already knows the blessings that he has. He already knows the promises. He already knows what tomorrow is going to hold. And he's watching you work yourself up into a frenzy. I do the same thing. And my struggle and my wrestling. Because God, if you only knew. You know, how many, how many have said those kind of things? God, if you only knew what I was dealing with right now. Lord, you would do something. And God is saying, I already know, I've already got a plan, I just need you to back off and chill out for a moment. Because my wrestling is getting, getting in the way. When I was, you know, when we were kids and we were wrestling with my dad, I always said, the, the, the wrestling always stopped when somebody got hurt or when something got broke. Because how many of you know when you're wrestling, you never keep it in that little tiny area of, you know, we'd put the sleeping bags down. Here's our area of wrestling. This is wrestling mats right now. Nobody goes off of this. And how many of you know you never stay on that little spot? And that's how we get in life. Well, God, you know, I'm just got, I just, I just got to be real with you right now, God. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to let you know. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm going to take control of this. And how many of you know it starts to extend farther and farther and farther outreaching of our situation. In Genesis 25, and um, I'm not going to read that, but it talks about how Esau is out in the field, and he has been hunting, but he hasn't caught anything. And Jacob is back, and Jacob is making his famous, you know, Jacob stew. 
And Esau comes in and he smells it and he's just like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm about ready to die. And, you know, I, I, would you give me a bowl of your stew? And Jacob began to think in that wrestling mentality of his, how can I do this on my own? Even though the blessing has already been given to me, the birthright is already mine. It's already been established before I was ever even born. But how can I manipulate the system so I get everything I want right now? So he says to Esau, hey, I'll give you a bowl. Just give me your birthright. And Esau makes the big mistake of going, well, I'm going to die if I don't eat. So yeah, go ahead and just take the birthright. And it is passed over to Jacob. Now, Jacob's name means trickster, deceiver. And we make decisions outside of God in our flesh. And when we do, we have to maintain those decisions ourselves, which is always impossible to handle long term. When we feel that we can make that decision on our own, we have to live with the consequences of that decision. And it's like plate spinning. So we decide, God, I got to do this because you're just taking way too long or I don't like your answer that you're trying to give me. And I don't hear what you're saying because I really don't want to hear what you're saying. And we plate spin in a situation. And when you begin to plate spin, you got to keep it spinning. Jacob tricks Esau for that birthright. See, Jacob's been wrestling, and he is a teenager now. He wrestled as a, as a baby. Now he's a teenager. He's wrestling to get that birthright. And there was a study done by another doctor that said that around the age of 11 and up, kids shouldn't wrestle anymore because it can get dangerous. The study says... Um, boys start to challenge other boys at that age and they look for the weaker. And if the weaker boy doesn't give in right away, the playing gets more aggressive till there is a clear winner. And how many of you know when we move from that childlike faith, when we, when we move from that uh, baby Christian, we might as well just sing that song, Baby Christian, baby, you know, and now we're in the teenage years. Holy cow! And when we are in that teenage years, we get aggressive, and we get into that place with God that you know we're not mature enough yet to just go. Okay, I can get real with God, but now I've got to just. I, you know, we got to work some things out, and God, I just got to spend some time with you, and, and, and I might be frustrated in here, but God, I'm just going to give you my focus and my praise and my worship, and Lord, I want to dive into your word, but when we're in that teenage year of, you know, we're, we've moved from that baby Christian, and we're still trying to mature, we get aggressive, and we can become very dangerous in those moments, and that's how, we, that's how we can become with God, that we get aggressive with God. We get in that place of, God, if you're not going to do this for me, I am going to do this on my own. And we might not say those words out loud to God, but we've done it by our actions. See, there's a difference between being bold and being aggressive. When we're bold, we're speaking God's word in confidence. But when we're aggressive, we're, th we're, we're in that attitude of, God, you better do this or I'm going to do this. In Genesis 27, Esau is about to get the blessing from his father. Isaac's about to pass away. 
And Isaac tells his son, go and just, I, I want you to go hunting and get that meat and cook that meat up. I love when you do that. And when you come back, I'm going to give you the blessing. And while he's gone, Jacob and his mom get this plan going. And they're going to wrestle that blessing from their dad. They're going to do it on their own might and in their own power and in their own deception and in their own manipulation and their own control. And he goes in and they, they, they do the plan where he's going to smell like Esau and he's going to feel like Esau and he's gonna, his mom is going to cook the food and present it to the dad so it tastes like Esau's food. And the blessing that he's been wrestling for his whole life that had been established before he was born, he is now again wrestling. And he, he's, he's, he's t uh, wrestled Esau for the birthright. He's wrestled with his dad for the blessing. And he is now set to take over everything that his dad now owns, except now he's got to run for his life because he is deceived both his dad and his brother. For 51 years, Jacob has to go live with his uncle. 51 years he's living not knowing what Esau could do. Not knowing if Esau's going to show up and kill him. Not knowing if, if where his life is going to take him in this, in whatever direction, because he has been plate spinning this whole entire time of this wrestle and this struggle that he is manipulated to get. And now, 51 years of his life, He's been at this place of just struggle. And then God speaks to him. And God says to him, I want you to go back to your homeland. See, sometimes progress looks like regress. Sometimes God will have us stop dead in our tracks because we've been trying to do this thing. We've been trying to work this situation on our own way of doing it, on our own way of thinking, in our own struggle and wrestling of getting this thing done in our own terms. But God is saying, I want you to go back to truth, and I want you to go back to foundation, and I want you to go back to where you got off course. So he tells Jacob, I want you to go back. Now, Jacob now is 91 years old. 91 years old, before he was born, the birthright, the blessing had already been established was going to be his. He is 91 years old and he has not lived in it yet. In Genesis 32, Jacob is beginning to head back home now. But he sends his servants on ahead with a bunch of gifts. He's going to bribe his brother. He's just like, I, I want to make sure, you know, when we run into him, is everything going to be okay? Because God told me to come back. Is everything going to be okay? And in Genesis 32, verse 6, it says, Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you, and 400 men with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, See, he's been doing stuff on his own for a long time. He knew the wrestle that he had done with his brother, and now it's about to, you know, it's, a, it's about to happen. And so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. What a horrible plan. How would you like to be the people? So you're saying there's a 50% chance I'm going to be killed because of your wrestling. Guys, there's people 
in your life that is connected with you, whether it's family or friends, whether it's some kind of relative along the way, whether it's people that are looking up to you, you, they are connected with you. And your struggle and your wrestling will determine their fate also. That's why we got to be careful. It's not just about us. Well, I'm just going to wrestle this thing through because I want this now. And we're forgetting the people that are attached with us, our company of people that are surrounded around us, their fate is in your decisions that you're going to make. And it says, um, uh, verse 9, Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray. He's finally getting it. He's finally beginning to say, okay, God, your promise of what you just said was this. It's not what I'm trying to figure out. It's not what I'm trying to do. This is what you told me to do. And when you can stand on what God has told you to do, a level of confidence begins to rise up within you. You begin to speak the word of God with some confidence. You begin to just go, you know what, Lord, I'm going to rely on you this time. And as he begins to say that, as he begins to remind God, you told me to do this. He said, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said... I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And dropping down to verse 22, it says, Then he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. There's something about being alone. When you decide, you know what, Lord? This is what you're telling me to do. There's a confidence in what you're telling me to do, even though I might be afraid, even though there might be a little bit of stress that goes along with this, even though the enemy I hear might be coming to attack me, God, I'm going to just, I got to get alone with you. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the day, breaking of day. Now, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, now you understand, he's wrestling with God right now. And he said, let me go. God says, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. See, he's understanding now, wait a second. I've tried to struggle this and work this and wrestle this out with everybody else, but God, now I realize I got to come to you. And I'm going to wrestle with your word because when I wrestle with your word, there's no struggle that's involved in this. When I, when I wrestle God with your word and when I, when I take the time of spending my time alone with you, there's a change that takes place. And when he says, when, when Jacob says to him, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me, what God says to him is he says, what is your name? Not, God knows his name. And he says, Jacob. I really believe that God was saying to him, I want you, let's just acknowledge for a moment that you are a deceiver. Let's acknowledge for the moment that you have been a wrestler that you have been a trickster, 
that you have kind of manipulated and kind of controlled your own situation? Can you acknowledge that you've been doing that? Jacob says, I'm Jacob. I am those things. And then God says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. God knew his name. When there's acknowledgement that comes. And that acknowledgement is called repentance. When we can get to that place and we go, God, I have messed this situation up. God, I have been a control freak on this. I have been trying to just go, you know, the, the slimy way around things. I've been trying to go the sneaky way to try and get, you know, this working on my, in my favor. But God, I'm no longer going to be that. God, I receive the name that you give me. And that, that, that name Israel means may God prevail. I love that, he, that, that God is saying no longer is it going to be the trickster, but it's going to be the acknowledgement that God is going to prevail in my life. And if you've been struggling and you feel like you're always wrestling with one thing or another, it's time to stop what you're trying to do on your own, to submit to God's plan and to his authority, you know, to go back to the beginning. You know, some, for some, you might have to go back to where that hurt happened because you got to learn how to forgive and let go. You know, some, you might need to admit that maybe you're the one that has the issue when you're married to divorce, married and divorce, married and divorce, and you think it's everybody else. Maybe you need to go back to the foundation of who you are, and maybe you just never learned how to be a husband or how to be a wife. And it's easy to acknowledge the fact, you know what, that's how I have been. That's who, that's who I have made myself become, but God in you, I know you can teach and mentor me and bring people into my life that can show me what it is like to be a good spouse. Maybe, you know, you've asked God to, re uh, you know, to reveal to you vows that you have made over your life that has now created a cycle of bad relationships or, or maybe, you know, you're, you, you made the vow and you said, you know what, I'll never find a good man ever. Or I'll never find a good woman to marry ever. And it's vows that you have made throughout your life. I'll never be financially free. I'll never, you know, uh, be able to go to college. Or I'll never be able to have that kind of position in that, in that you know, company. We got to go back to the beginning of where we derailed and say, God, I ask that you forgive me. I break those vows. Release me from everything that I've ever said. Or do you just accept that you're going to die an early death because everybody else in your family has died at an early age? And God is saying, I need you to go back to the beginning and I need you to go back and see. Wait a second, there is a thread that has run through my family. It's called a generational curse. But that thing can be broken, the blood of Jesus Christ now, and I don't have to die an early death. Maybe you've been wrestling with your own insecurities. And self-doubt has caused you to believe what other people have said over your life or what you've said over your own life. You need to go back and release those negative thoughts. 
We got to go back. And, and, and you know, uh, nowadays, you know, sometimes we just want to slap a Band-Aid on it and move on. And I am also not one that wants to go back and just say, let's just, you know, let's just dig up every little thing in our life. Man, I want to dig it up because, oh, we are going to have a funeral and you are all invited. Everybody who's ever hurt me, you are coming to this funeral. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you get alone with God. And you begin to say, Lord, I know that I, I, got, I just have this, this reoccurring rejection that always seems to trigger in my life. God, I need, to go, I, I need to go back. Was it something I've said or is it something that I need to release somebody from or I need to release myself from? Is it something that I said from long ago that has put me in this box? God, I ask that you release me. I'm not going to struggle with rejection no more. I'm not going to struggle with insecurity. I'm not going to wrestle this thing over and over and over again in my life because God your promises are mine and they're established in my life coming to Christ is acknowledging the fact that we can't do life on our own we can't do life without him and that we don't need to keep wrestling on our own that through Jesus we can live in peace and we can live in joy and we can live the blessed life will we have struggles yes do we have to struggle no. There's things that will rise up in our life that will, that will just kick the rug out from underneath us. And it will be a struggle to wake up the next day. And we'll have to wrestle our own flesh to say, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to get moving on with life. And I'm going to get, you know, get in my word to understand the promises of God and understand the joy of God and understand the, that the joy of the Lord is my strength and understand my healing and understand my peace. And it might be a struggle, but you don't have to struggle and wrestle. You take that struggle. And you take the wrestle and you take it before God. And God says, now I want to heal you and I want to establish you and I want to bring you peace. When we keep our minds on Christ and we keep it renewed in the word, we don't have to wrestle through life. Amen? Amen. You know, sometimes they say that, you know, uh, you know, preachers preach on messages uh, because they themselves have been, you know, dealing with some stuff. And like I said, if you are, you know, you're a control freak or you're, you know, you're like that backup plan or person, sometimes this biggest struggle is yours because you got to learn how to let go and let God. And then sometimes we just, you know, have you ever just done stuff and, and you just, you're like, why do I even do that? Why, do, why is my first initial thought is to complain or my first initial thought is to freak out or, you know, to just take off running, you know, is that fight or flight, you know, why, why is that all, you know, why do I do this? And sometimes we just have done life the same way so much that we forget that we don't have to do it that way, that God is a God of peace. And in the midst of every bit of that struggle and every bit of that depression that wants to take over and every bit of the tears that wants to flow and the anger that's raging and all those times when the first reaction is to just start wrestling with God and wrestle with those around us, can we make a commitment before our God the Lord God, I might freak, I might stress, but I'm taking it to you and to you alone. 
and I'm going to acknowledge, maybe I didn't do right in this situation, but God, I love that, but God, but God, I know that all things can work together when I allow you to take the head of my life. Amen. Amen.